It's Wednesday, June 23rd. You're listening to the Tech Breakfast Podcast, the show that brings you delicious tech news and all the hot takes you can handle with Tyler Gates, Russ Cantwell, and Aaron Bewley. How's it going, fellas? What up? So good. Yeah, so yeah. good. There's a baby awesome. in the background. She's got a blinky thingy. Whoa, yeah, Dude. she does. How's your wife doing? Uh, she is very tired of being pregnant mm-hmm. and is ready for the baby to not be in her belly anymore mm. that's that's now, has she has she hit the phase where she feels like she's going to be pregnant forever she has yeah yes for sure every baby <laughs> that was my wife it's like that's it. this one's never coming out <laughs> it's, it's amazing we went to the doctor yesterday you know to do a little scan and see the baby and all that stuff mm-hmm. and they were like so does he does he move around a lot? Is he pretty active? And about that time, you could see her stomach just going. I mean, <laughs> he is so much more active than Kate. Um, I mean, <laughs> Kate would like flurry. Like she could, she she would have to tell me. She'd be like, Kate is moving. And right now, she I don't even have to be looking. I can feel him moving if she's within five feet of me. He's just he moves a lot. So uh, awesome. I think he's trying to bust out. Sweet, can't wait to meet him. All right, let's get into some yesterday in today. Today's yesterday in tech news. Dang it, I messed it up. No, Uh, it just rolls off the tongue. How do you mess that up? (laughs) Today's yesterday in tech history. Here we go. Okay, y'all are going to guess the years on this. Yesterday is today in tech history. Today's yesterday. It actually works both ways. It's today's yesterday in tech history. Today's yesterday in tech news history or yesterday's today in tech news history. They're actually the same thing. Now you're adding tech news. Okay. Oh, oh no, it's not tech news. We're tech news. Uh, here we go. Here we <laughs> go. All right. So um, you guys are going to guess the years again. I love this game. June 21st. <laughs> so this was actually two days ago in history. Spaceship oh, One. I word for that. Okay. This was the... <laughs> today's two days ago in tech history. <laughs> First private space flight. First private space flight. Y'all have seen the news. There's a whole lot going on uh, between Musk and Bezos and... Uh, Blue Origin and SpaceX and all this kind of stuff going on. And the petition to not buying. allow Bezos back into the <laughs> yes. world after flies off. Have you all seen that? I'll I come have. back to this, that but that awesome. is so golden. There's a petition that's already been signed by what is it, Tyler? Like 160,000 people. Is it yeah. over 100 now? That I mean, it doesn't surprise me. It's, it's like 100,000 people to not allow Bezos back into Earth when he leaves. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Musk, I think Musk retweeted it and it doubled overnight, not surprisingly. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> and then there was like a somebody was showing, like, the, I guess the reshuffling of everybody for the brief time that he's in space about the richest people on Earth. <laughs> That's awesome. It was so funny. I was like, what? All right. <clears throat> Does the here. value of Amazon like catastrophically drop while he's off planet? <laughs> I feel like it should. Like Amazon's earthly value should plummet briefly. As long as they have two day shipping. I guess. I mean, I guess if he's got uh, if he's got his documentation worked out, it's probably not that bad for Amazon. Yeah, there he we still go. has. <laughs> but if, if he died in a fire on the way back in or something, he's not even Dude, CEO a, anymore, right? Yeah, he's not even yeah, but he still CEO owns anymore. a substantial chunk of the Amazon Does stock. He? Yeah, but that, that doesn't does. matter. He though. cashed all that out. That's he, all he, out. he wants to pay taxes. It doesn't matter if he owns it. Those are earthly taxes. He's not even CEO anymore. It doesn't matter. All right. Doesn't matter. Oh, let's get through this. Spaceship One, first private space flight. Okay. Financed by Microsoft co-founder Paul Allen, Spaceship One becomes the first spacecraft developed by the free market to enter space flight. Launched from a mothership named 
White Knight. What? It was free? No. <laughs> developed by the free market. So not developed by a government agency like NASA. Yeah, I got you. Or the European space. Private, what, what, private, year? what year? Private space flight. Yeah, was, you, you got to tell me what year. What year do you think oh, it was? Oh, that's the game? 1983. Yeah, so, <laughs> <laughs> so here, spaceship, so some slight details. It flew just beyond the atmosphere into the threshold of space yes. and gliding back to Earth. Was that like 20? Oh, that sounds more like a 1987 2016. or 2016. So they would later win the $10 million Ansari X Prize for the first non-government organization to launch a reusable manned spacecraft. I'm going with like 2014, 2015. 2004. Wow, I was way off. I was yeah. closer. We were in college. I do not remember this. Gosh, no, I don't all. either. I feel like that was should have been more <laughs> momentous than it was. Y'all are old. I was in high school. Yeah. Hush. Ew. Hush, baby Russ. Okay. Baby Russ. There we go. <laughs> Let's move baby to today's Russ yesterday. Pepper. I didn't make it college till 2005. <laughs> All right. Really? Yeah, bro. What? I was still putting up threes in high school from 30 feet away in 2004. Wow. Whoa, Zook okay. nailed it. it. What? He guessed 2004. Hey. Oh, really? Oh, in the chat. Yeah. checking in the chat. Nice. What? Good Kieran job, went with dude. 1999, nice. also a good year, but uh, but it appears to not be accurate. He was okay. They were that's both a great idea. Than we were. We need to we need to start checking against the chat as well. That's awesome. Congratulations. Yes. Well, well All right. done. Let's move to today's. Okay. This this year is going to be much harder. No cheating. No going to the website where you know this is. No cheating. Don't, okay. I don't this one's called Jetmail. Website. June twenty second. In Jet a demonstration Man. of the capabilities of jet aircraft. Army Air Corps pilots Kenneth Chilstrom and Robert Baird transport mail in a Lockheed P-80 Shooting Star. If you know nice. your planes, this is going to give you a little bit of a hint. Thus making the first delivery of mail by jet aircraft. What year? I have no idea. I don't know my planes, which is a sad I do. Truth. It's 84. Okay. It's not. It's Wait, you said Shooting Star? I'm going to go with mm -hmm. like 60s. So, yeah, the Shooting Star's first flight was 1944. It was introduced in 1945, and it was retired in 1959. So it was not the 60s. Well, actually, it still yeah. could have been retired. <laughs> that just means for military, but no, probably yeah. not 60s. Yeah. 1946. 1946. Nice. All right, cool. Let's move to today's news. Okay. I am certain that I have seen that aircraft on a giant wall with the entire history of Lockheed <laughs> Martin's aircraft, yes. and I have no recollection of it whatsoever. Correct. Yeah. My <laughs> only real knowledge of Lockheed Martin comes from the book Skunk Works. So, or some, or anything that Tyler tells me. That's what I got. <laughs> they had it. They have a really cool hall here in Fort Worth, and as you entered from like the corporate sort of headquarter building which is attached to the manufacturing facility manufacturing facility being a mile long they had something they called legacy hallway where they built it up and it was like the entire history of lockheed's uh you know many acquisitions as well as going all the way back to the original lockheed and the, the original martin marietta and stuff like that and it was it was really cool it was really well done lots of like shadow boxed diorama like things with the history and pictures nice. and hurtiness none of it apparently stuck well, let me my, ask you uh, this. Oh, go ahead, Russ. I was going to say that my, my roommate in college, um, he still works at Lockheed, and uh, he interned there all four years of college. And so and, and I would intern as well at, I interned at Ernst & Young a few times. And so I, I remember when, I don't remember what I sent him, but I sent him some picture of what I was working on. I was in a data center, obviously. 
and uh, and he he sent me a picture of what he was working on, and it was a missile. He was building a missile. I like sent him a picture of a Dell server or something like that, and he's like, "Oh, that's cool. Here's this missile that I'm building." Nice. I have never been more just trumped in my life than in that moment. I think. So the uh, the P eighty shooting star, and I'm curious how this compares to some of the jets you worked on, Tyler. But it was designed and built by Lockheed, obviously, in 43. And they delivered it just 143 days from the start of the design process. Wow. They delivered the plane. Less than six Yeah, that months. doesn't happen anymore. I the bet. Yeah. Aircraft platforms are that. way too Much complex. Much more complex. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. It actually, it did see, so it saw some limited service in Italy. This was, this was the first plane, uh, the first jet fighter that was used operationally by the United States Army Air Force. I feel cool. like you I'm sure that's this. why it carried the like first mail. Yeah, that's what I said. I have no recollection <laughs> yeah. of that aircraft platform whatsoever. Um, it did fly in Italy just before the end of World War II, which you went and built crazy. planes in Italy. I did. So I'm just kind of casually pointing out all the reasons why you should know more about Why I should know. Hey, no, there's star. lots of reasons I should know that. <laughs> I, I, I remember, I forget who I told this, probably multiple people over the years, but uh, what, like, I was the worst aerospace engineering personality because i had no deep-rooted love for like jets or aircraft like i i kind of haphazardly ended up at lockheed and, and i loved it I, but i liked the like the engineering like take the level down i liked the procedural side i liked the metal machining the composite manufacturing all the all the cool stuff that went into it but like once it turned into an aircraft it was only cool because lots of people thought it was cool I wasn't really excited about like the history of planes or the history of jet engines or like, I want, I wanted to know more about how they work and how they got put together, which is cool. That's, you know, I learned a lot about that when I was there, but I didn't ever care as much about, you know, all of the, the specifics around the aircraft itself. And I had, I had friends that were like, how do I get to Lockheed? I'm like, I engineering i don't know what to tell you they're like jets are so cool and i'm like sure they are man <laughs> yep nice yeah. right let's get to some today in tech history news some today's news <clears throat> all right what do you want to talk about first you want to do the uh, the apple side loaded apps stuff like that yep because you brought okay. it up so let's let me <laughs> so apple's fight for control over apps moves to congress and the eu and there's some stuff happening today uh, around that in the House Judiciary Committee. Uh, but anyway, so here's the news. Uh, Apple is stepping up its fight to maintain tight controls over which apps can be installed on the customer's iPhones as political pressures grow in Washington and Brussels to upend those restrictions. In a report released Wednesday, the company argues that allowing users to download apps <clears throat> excuse me, directly onto their iPhones without having to use Apple's App Store would harm customers by threatening privacy protections complicating parental controls and potentially exposing users' data to ransomware attacks. My favorite I, quote the, from the yeah. Verge article is, is like paragraph four, and it just says, Apple already allows sideloading on its Mac computers, but it argues that this model doesn't work for iPhones because they carry more sensitive and personal information. I thought that which was is hot too. garbage. Yeah, there's no way that there's more sensitive data there than compared to your laptop. It's that's it's, it's just a same. garbage argument. It's, like they that they're they're grasping at straws. Yeah, isn't what we're learning here that uh, the Mac has malware on it? 
Yeah, that's <laughs> is basically it, everything they just said. Isn't that impossible to get? The, the whole like security ecosystem have... of a Mac is is collapsed. Do people in this really argument. Do do people really stand by that? Do people really say that? Holy crap! Yes. Okay. I felt like I, I stopped hearing go. that at like the end of the '90s or early 2000s or something. I don't know. This is just one. This is my entire problem with. Apple is nothing to do with the company or the ecosystem. Yeah. I actually admire Steve Jobs, even though he was a a-hole. I, I, just, <laughs> I think he's the best salesman of all time. It's the users in this blind faith to this company that, you know, things that they say are 100% true all of the time. There's malware and scam apps that make it through Apple's app store process all the time, even listed in this article. It's just a, it's just a funny thing that they just holistically just believe all of this perfect behavior of it just like people who come to me and they're like bro did you know that there's malware in the like someone found a way to get into the linux kernel there was a security hole and i'm like yeah dude that happens all the time (laughs) and they make us they make it they're like well why do you use linux don't you use it because it's perfectly secure no so what do you like the workflow yeah well so what do you think about the power of the eu and the the u.s regulations to just say, hey, you can't run your business this way anymore. Because so in the article, I'm reading out of the Wall Street Journal here, but provisions in one of the bills known as the American Innovation and Choice Online Act could effectively give Apple's customers broader control over which apps to download on their devices. It could prohibit Apple from continuing to block a practice known as sideloading. Uh, sorry, that doesn't add anything we don't already know. But the the just the concept of them going through and making a decision to where just free market, open it up. You can't block, you can't, I don't know. What do you think? It changes the entire experience. If you want it to, which means Does it? it doesn't change the experience for anyone that isn't interested in sideloading. I think, it's funny I think you say that's that, a stupid Tyler. argument too. I don't know if you saw this in the article or not. Apple okay. did make a claim that this would affect all of its users, regardless if they chose to download sideloaded apps or not. That's nonsense. How? Do you agree the same that? way Android does, where you've got a radio button that says, do you want to allow sideloaded apps? No. Then it doesn't affect you. I, trust mm. me. I agree with you. I'm just pointing out the, the lunacy in the it, article It's here. crazy. The argument's crap. What I want to know, though, um, because to answer your question, Buley, I, I really don't know, because I do struggle with the idea of not allowing a business to operate the way that they want right. to operate, I, I have this sort of comes down to, and I don't know if this is if this is the right way to phrase this, but monopoly be, like monopoly behavior is only a problem if you're actually a monopoly, and I don't know if they're being viewed as monopoly that not. or not in this particular case. You, sorry, I, I talked over you. You're saying they're not, or that your concern, is, or you're saying that the U.S. government is viewing them as a monopoly. I have a feeling that that's part of the argument. Like they're going to probably say that there's a monopoly in the ecosystem of iOS with the app store. Sure. Artificially improving their position by preventing. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't think the iOS itself could ever be argued as a monopoly. It's it's impossible. Android has whatever, whatever percentage market share. Many, many more percentages. Right. But the, I think that the, what I've seen, and I don't know that it's accurate. I, I, I think that the reality here is we need new, we need new tech laws because really our antitrust and monopoly law is just like anti-big company. Like that's really what it ultimately ends up right. being a lot of the time. So I struggle with the idea of not allowing a business to run a business the way that they're supposed to. Um, but I also, whenever you come up with arguments like this, like this is a 16-page document that the only thing they're able to pull out 
of it for this article is something related to security. Are you telling me they just wrote 16 pages on how this affects the security of their users and they don't have a singular other argument inside of there? Yeah, I would like to think that's that pretty bad. Something else. So I'm, and I actually don't know that they don't have something in there. Yeah, I'm just, yeah. In the article I'm looking at right now, they don't say anything other than the security of the side-loaded apps thing anymore, yeah. which, by the way, isn't going to hurt Apple at all. The sure. amount of people that are going to sideload things on Very an low. iPhone is unbelievably low. Very yeah. low. It's, it's yeah, so, crazy So Google, Google has a transparency report. Obviously, Android allows this, uh, allows sideloading. Google's most recent transparency transparency report said le that less than 0.2%, not 2%, but 0.2% of Android devices have installed a malicious app through Google Play, like ever, due to oh, having oh, sideload capabilities. Oh, Google. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, through Google You don't Play, need to sideload through the Play Store. In fact, it's not sideloading if you use the Play Store. So right. that, that's, that yeah, doesn't well that, make any sense to me. So that, that's what I was going to ask you. Like, how are they defining sideloading? Because from what I know of sideloading, you're basically jailbreaking the phone and then installing apps from well, some Android, that's and not, Android, on Android, you, you don't have to jailbreak it. Not the, yeah, you, no, I know, you but you flip a bit and then you're allowed to just add APKs from anywhere. You're oh, the, application step. packages. It, it, there's no, you don't have to jailbreak it. You don't have to crack it open. You just enable sideloading and you can open an APK from anywhere instead of, and the then it's not it. done. Okay. And then it's not done through Google play. It's not done through Google play. Okay. You are, so right, this is a pointless statement Tyler. here is that it does pop up a message and it's very scary that says very scary this will be the most insecure thing you've ever done in your entire life <laughs> and then you and then you have to click confirm i understand that so mm -hmm. uh, which developers actually who don't want to use the Play Store have complained about the past. I think Epic actually brought that up as well. But yeah, it just pop up with a message that's like don't do it. Uh, right. and then you do it. And apparently less than 0.02% of users well, are go past that message well no because aaron's stat was a weird stat it they like it started oh, to right. talk because like sideloading but then why. it's at 0 0.02 through the play store and malicious like that that's a play store problem an interesting right. topic i'm sure but it is nothing to do with sideloads yeah so that, that i would actually question, assume though. rightfully so and and there because there are security concerns that more sideloaded apps statistically are malicious than yes. than those coming through the Play Store, that would be a neat stat to see. But I, I'm also fairly certain it's really, really hard for them to tell, right? Because once you once you open up Pandora's box to sideloading, like Google doesn't have perfect visibility to whether or not it's malicious <laughs> or you know where it came from, that sort of stuff. I'm sure some and I bet they collect those stats. I don't know. I just I've never seen them. So like they think they could tell us how many have been sideloaded. They tell us everything else about ourselves. Yeah, I, I find it hard to believe they couldn't, but that one, that stat wasn't there. I wonder if it's yeah. out there. I just, I, I don't. I'm looking for it. for it, and I don't see it. So Darren had a question in the chat. Does introducing the ability to sideload to the core OS create a new attack surface for malicious attacks for malicious actors? I think, as a baseline argument, it probably does, right? Yeah. Because. You can get someone to because they can singularly say like uh, whatever the iOS application package extension is can only be executed through the the store, right? So that is arguably more secure than also having yeah. some alternative. But I, I mean, without coding it, I'm I find it hard to believe that it's like catastrophically huge. Or I'll tell like you that. something until you flip is. the switch. Then yeah, okay. <laughs> Maybe even worse from a security perspective that Google was allow or wasn't allowing for a long time was um, they were not allowing apps that were installed from third party 
app stores to be auto updated for for a while. Mm. Which, if you're not able oh, to get updates, including security updates, then, yeah, then that's, that's that's a problem. I don't think that's the case anymore. But there was there was a time when I thought that was really dumb. Just the idea. There was when I first got my phone, I, I did everything you could do on an Android phone. I, I ran custom ROMs. I compiled my own ROMs. I compiled my own kernels, and I ran different yeah. app stores because there, there were different app stores. Like in fact, the the one from Amazon because they have their own. Oh, app store. What was it? There was an early one, a free like a app every day or something, or something like that. So I, I would use those all the time, yeah, yeah. but I was thought I remember the updating process being incredibly manual for a while because they wouldn't allow automatic. Yes, pod. I'm trying to think. I, I did the same thing. I was trying to remember F-Droid. some of those early F-Droid, F-Droid. There it is. Yes, F-Droid. super popular. F-Droid yep. is very popular. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's put all these arguments aside. Is this even the right answer to the supposed problem from the House Judiciary Committee? Are they even in the right ballpark? Like to Darren's next question on here, what benefit does it bring to the people that I think, the, I think that very small fraction of people that would even do this? I well, honestly so, think so, it benefits Apple more than anyone. I think if it, they put another app store on there, they can justify their 30% immediately. Yep. And, and that's the thing is that what, what's curious about this is that I agree with Russ that most iPhone users aren't going to do this. So by giving them the choice and making the capability open and available... They check all the boxes to say we are not artificially restricting competition, but it doesn't actually introduce serious competition. Like right. it, this just seems like a no-brainer because I do think it addresses the problem, which is as it stands, the House Judiciary Committee is saying Apple's App Store artificially limits competition because the platform does not allow an alternative marketplace to even be an option. So make it an option. Nobody's going to use it. Afteroid was a great option and nobody used it. Like statistically, it was probably close to the 0.02%, right? Like so very, very few people actually used alternative markets. They're still there for Android and nobody talks about them because nobody uses them. Yep. yep. Just put up okay. a big warning message just like Android does. It says, this is the worst decision you're ever going to make in your life. Don't do it. If you yep. do, your phone will explode. And then it's a long and lonely road you're about to go down. That's right. All right, cool. I think we solved this one. Thanks for the interaction in the chat. That was good. What do we want to talk about next? Okay, sorry. I'm going to go straight to this one because this is awesome. Towing a Tesla at 70 miles an hour replenishes battery at fast charger rates. So fast charger being like an actual type of charger with a specific yeah, that's awesome. rate. That's Super incredible. High good find, right? Russ. Yeah, what, what's interesting in the articles, they said that this has actually been tried a lot of different times and it's been unsuccessful basically because people were unable to find the speed at which you needed to go for it to be effective at charging. So apparently 70 miles an hour is the speed you need to hit. I, I would have guessed 88 miles an hour myself. <laughs> yes, but yeah, but it turns out that 70 is the one that, that you can get. So he, I guess he towed the car for about 25 miles, putting back electricity into the battery at a rate of 65 kilowatts, uh, not quite supercharger speeds. Um, but I guess it's, uh, Relatively close. It depends on the supercharger. Some superchargers supercharger can go up to speech. 150 uh, kilowatts, but uh, it's still pretty decent. So, uh, pretty solid. That if uh, you know you tow your car, you can get some battery back. It sort of, I guess, gets into a weird situation of are you All towing right. it with a gas? It's time power for the future. No, you're towing it with an electric eVTOL. You're just driving along the highway and you hit a button and it says great. And then like a cool magnetic anchor comes down to an anchor point on the front of your car. And just like mid-air refueling, 
it starts pulling you along at 88 miles per hour, obviously, because that's where you get superchargers. I think you're right. And, and then, you know, 30 minutes later, you got enough juice to make it. I think Uh, I feel, I I see a service coming on and I think we could probably start this service. We need to buy up a whole bunch of those Waymo devices so that we can make our cars to where they can be self-driving cars. And we'll just go around and charge people's cars for them. Hey, you need to charge car charge. Here's our self-driving car to tow yours down the highway and charge it for you. I mean, there you go. Tell me there's no, you don't need a gas station on every corner. You just need a tow station on every almost corner. That's obviously more convenient. So I think that this is a really good idea. Billy, you don't look convinced. Do you want in on this or is this just a me and Tyler thing that we're going to do? No, 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 no. Yeah. I I was looking up something else because I was getting frustrated. I'm, I'm often off into car things and modifications and all kinds of fun stuff. And I'm seeing this growing trend of people taking model s wheels you know like the black blade looking things mm-hmm. and they're putting them on non-tesla vehicles and i think it looks horrendous how are they getting people them? that's a great question i don't know i was trying to look into that but somehow they're Those, getting the model s's will stand up on cinder blocks just like other cars it's easy to get them <laughs> Fine. oh Zip, Zip just found that's a really awesome. good use here he said deplete tesla one Switch to Tesla 2 that you're towing and have it tow Tesla 1 and then switch back. That's the way you go across country. You just leapfrog. That's <laughs> you're like 100% percent each other. I think it's a great idea. <laughs> yeah. It, it's it's a perpetual motion machine too. So that's So I that's just need win. to buy two Teslas to get to Lubbock and back. That's that's all I got to do. So that solves my problem immediately. Nice. Okay. Let's move on to something else. What we got? Okay, I want to talk about something I don't have in the notes <clears throat> because we talked about it before, which was the um, Facebook allowing ads in games. They, uh, yeah. I think we cleared this up, but I will restate it. Facebook released an API that allows for developers to put ads in games if they want to. So once again, I get that it's cool to hate Facebook, but hate your developers if there are ads in your games. Jesus, people. Which apparently um, they did. <clears throat> they did. They absolutely <laughs> did. So I was actually uh, perusing around the uh, Oculus Quest subreddit this morning, and I found a uh, just a post that was uh, titled, Don't Underestimate What We Have Done as a Community. Quite upvoted. Almost 5,000 upvotes in a relatively small subreddit. Um, setback for Facebook as virtual reality ad partner quits. So Blastin is a game... Um, that, that is on there and they have decided not to put ads after they said they were going to Facebook VR ads test ads test loses first game after backlash. So it looks like uh, some of the developers are choosing to back out. Although this particular developer um, Blastin, which I have not seen before, but maybe I'll go check out now because it sounds pretty cool. Um, it was never scummy tactics as the CEO says, we love our game and always pictured the futuristic urban world and Esport arenas, this guy's after my own heart, to feature sponsors that can make it possible for players to make a living playing Blastin, just like oh, cool. all modern sports. And you know what? I'm with him. Put the ads in the game. I think this is dumb that people are canceling things for no reason that they don't understand and they just they hear the word ad and it's the root of all evil and they don't want to do it. Yeah. It's dumb. Like this would have been <clears throat> in a stadium of sorts that has an ad on a poster board somewhere which by the way they'll probably still have in the game it just won't be a real ad yeah so it's like it's like a product placement kind of thing in a movie then it's exactly what it is okay it's not like more before you load the map bro i'll yeah 
Well, yeah. no. So I didn't even think about it that way. Cause that would, that would be horrendous. I thought about it. Like, you know, I'm in game play and there's a pop-up and there's just some like right. somebody that trying to sell terrible. me a toothbrush. I'm like, get out of here. We I mean, have had a poster. in games since quake live was right. built on the idea of having ads in games. And it was the first free to play model. And by the way, it failed. It didn't, it didn't get a lot of like, there was no, there was no money coming in from it, but there were little literal billboards around the arena where you would see the occasional ad and trust me, it affected absolutely nothing with the game or the gameplay in any way, shape or form. It wasn't disruptive. Like it was nothing. And that's, that's what people are talking about. Your product placement is the perfect example of it. It's nothing that would ever get in your way. And so the fact that this is a problem for people, it's just, it, this sort of goes in line with what you mentioned about Apple. It's like, I struggle with a company not being able to run, you know, their business the way they want to do the regulatory reasons or whatever it is, just because people don't like them because they're big. I struggle with the idea that people don't want developers to make money. It's just a weird thing to me. And I, I just, this would have been another revenue stream that I think yeah. would have been perfectly fine in the games, but because Facebook's attached to it, yeah, it's, they, it's they... a problem. They get lumped in with like uh, painters and musicians and you know artists in general, right? I did read an article thing. the other day that said something about how Zuckerberg went from like prodigy who everyone thought was a cool story and people kind of liked him for a little while to maybe the most hated person on the planet. So it's just a, an interesting twist for him on a personal level. Hmm. Well, I hope someday you get your, you know, $180 million, or whatever, so you can start your own esports league or whatever it is. I'm going to have ads all over the place. Great. And I'm going to buy some ad space. That's what I'm talking about. That's right. Tyler just exited Supports stage you. left, by the he way. He gone? Okay. Yeah, what do you want to talk about next? Ooh, um, let's see. I, I, you know what? Since I've brought up esports, I'm going to stay on the topic. I want to yeah. talk about something that, that greatly upsets me, but a lot of people would probably laugh about. Uh, so Dota 2, um, the international. Have we ever talked about that before? Do you know what that is whenever I say it? I know what Dota 2 is. Dota 2, the international, I'm guessing, is a, is a um, like a competition? It is a competition. In fact, it's the okay. largest esports competition in the world by prize pool. Um, I say by prize pool because it, it'll probably get Not just get for that game, but for any game? It's for any game, yeah. Wow. So it's it's it gets a lot of viewers. Thirty to forty million people will watch it, but I don't know that that's actually the that's biggest ridiculous. viewer wise. Viewer wise, league probably still is bigger with forty to fifty million. But the prize I, I wonder, pool for the go sorry. ahead. Go. No, I just wonder, my, wonder my away. No, I just I wonder how many of our listeners watch any of these things. If if our listener base is the same as these you know esports audiences, um, but when you drop numbers like thirty million, forty million, fifty million. I mean, that immediately equates my brain to Super Bowl stuff, you know, and this, these things are happening all the time. Yeah, the Super Bowl and the, uh, you know, the uh, whatever it is, various soccer championships in EU are going to be the sports that eclipse the viewership wise. It is really important, though, that the way to frame these numbers is. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's for instance, you'll see a lot of things to say this is bigger than the NBA finals. OK, yeah. cool. The NBA finals is also. 80 90 percent maybe more watched in not just north america but the united states right every international esport event is a worldwide event so the audience size you know dramatically bigger so if you look at percentage of like the actual attainable audience yeah it's probably lower but i mean the numbers are still big but it is important to have the perspective 
Um, nonetheless, it is a huge event, and the prize pool is going to be thirty-five to forty million dollars. Is somewhere in that for, particular for, range. Okay, so for like, if you place in the top ten, then you get some piece of that. Oh yeah, yeah. And you, the, you, actually, everyone gets a little bit. Like the the lowest end will get like fifty grand, and the top end will get like twenty million or something like that. That's insane. And it's a uh, that's incredible. We can we can actually find the the number the prize pool right now because it, it's set from twenty twenty. Uh, yeah, it's it's forty million this year is what the the prize pool this year. That's is. unbelievable. Yeah, and you can kind of see the breakdowns of it too on different websites and stuff. But nonetheless, so the the news here is not that it's happening. The news here is that it has been planned in Sweden for now almost two years uh, because it was canceled last year due to the pandemic. And it was set to go forth. And Sweden is allowing competitions to happen. Uh, the problem is, is that they have to pass by the, the board that is over all of the professional sporting events in Sweden. And they basically declared this not a professional event. And they're not allowing it to go forward. They're saying that it is not some form of elite sporting event that, that is required to pass the test to be able to allow them to compete within the COVID, you know, I guess, parameters that they've set within Sweden. So they are having to, they've appealed to like the prime minister and stuff. It sounds like this That's probably ridiculous. isn't going to go through. Yeah. They're going to have to move this, which is a Herculean effort to, to do, to move. I mean, you're going to have an entire arena full of people, depending on what COVID allows. I mean, it's, this place is usually packed. It is a month long event. I mean, it is just, it is a major thing that goes on. And you said this and was Sweden. Does Sweden feel like they're? It's just damaging to their nations. I mean, I, why, why would they, they be making this decision? I, well, I, I have a feeling it's because of the people who are involved of this sporting commission are the same traditional people who struggle to see esports as a professional level competition. There's a lot of people that get hung up with the idea of the word "sport" being used for video games, which is fine. I don't care, and no one should care. But it's, it's a professional competition, and they're not allowing this because they're trying to quantify it under the sport scenario, which apparently requires some form of physical running in a ball uh, by their definition. So the, uh, the thing that's really sort of surprising here, at least for me, is that Sweden dominates esports. Like, what? They are like the top nation for like putting out top tier teams. Like they... If you were to take a country and say, what is the best Counter-Strike playing country by, you know, in the world over the last 20 years, 100% of people would tell you Sweden. It's just, what? it's just, a, it's, it's remarkable to me that a country that has such deep rooted history in esports and competing at an unbelievably high level and has some of the largest esports organizations in the world like Fnatic, which is a huge brand in the space uh is is making this decision so it's it's really big news in the community and the fact that they're going to have to try and i mean they'll successfully move it but they're trying to find another place within europe for this competition to go on but it's a it's a crazy thing for them to so i'm sorry to this is the allow. swedish government yeah, well, this? governing body of it, government government's a part of it, but it's a it's a governing governing body of like sports or something. So for you to come in, this <clears throat> government entity must approve you as a elite sport to be able to host this type of event. 
That's ridiculous, uh, man. Which, which they are not, which they are not allowing. Which for a lot of people, like the people who, whenever they see esports on ESPN, get super offended by it. And I mean, like it's a it's a really bad visceral reaction. They probably love this type of ruling, but it's very surprising to see from from Sweden, in my opinion. It is. Which I have a feeling is probably one reason why they were planning on continuing to host it there, is they assumed Sweden of all places would have been completely on board to have this thing move forward. Yeah. That's wild. That is absolutely wild. Yeah. I mean, first nuts. of all, money talks, man. You're talking prize purses that large and audience that many. That's insane. You know, it, and it absolutely is. And the amount of people you draw to your country, which of course is a concern say. for COVID, but nonetheless. Yeah. But I mean, you know, assuming, assuming, you know, we're talking physics and we're going to remove the coefficient of friction and just say, you know, we're going to pretend it's non COVID times right now to be able to boot or to, to make the decision to boot something like this just seems antithetical to, you know, driving progress for your country. And then to say it's not professional because professional is just, Yep, making money doing what you're doing, right? It, dri it drives me crazy. Yeah, um, this notion. I mean, some of these guys that have won the international multiple times, I mean, they have career esports earnings of over ten million dollars, and that's without that's without price. I mean, that's only prize pool. That has nothing to do with their salaries. Some of which are over a million dollars a year. So it's and, just like, and, yeah, it's, crazy. it's a defined sport, a skill in which an individual or team competes against another or others for entertainment. Oh, trust me, I'm all on board with the definition, but there is a whole host of people out there that believe a sport is something that requires basically running and, and or using a ball of some kind. Hmm. Big sports guy over here, as you well know, but like that's just a weird thing to me. Yeah. Okay. I don't get it, but we'll move it somewhere else and Sweden can just miss out on having however many people will come to their country over a month and boost their economy and all that stuff. So it'll go to some other country in Europe, or maybe they'll bring it back to the U.S., which is actually better for us because it's difficult to watch some of these competitions based on time zone. Yeah. All right. Um, we talked about Facebook. Did we talk about cryptocurrency yet? I think we did in the pre-show. I don't think we brought it up. All right. Post well, my only news is that um, the Amazon Prime Day discounts extend to uh, to cryptocurrency for you know yesterday. Oh, next couple of days. <laughs> I was so confused. I thought you it's, meant that you could pay. That's a joke with crypto and then i realized that it was because everything went down no nah, it's a joke now i get it yeah, uh yeah and then uh, if you want it, to compare it did go back up though didn't it it did it's starting to go back up just slightly but uh if you just want to compare prices um if you felt like you missed something out of the massive uh bull run that happened february into march and into early april before it started to crash the current prices of pretty much all cryptocurrency are basically reset back to january 1 of this year yeah, now, it dropped to like 27,000 for Bitcoin, which yeah. for people who don't know that basically everything, most things correlate to Bitcoin as far as price goes. So when Bitcoin yeah. drops, the, the market drops. Bitcoin dropped down to around $27,000. And then today it is up to $34,000, which for a lot of these people in the markets, that is apparently a, a problem. They don't like that volatility. I personally love it. So great right. fan. That was I was watching a video yesterday. Um, this was hilarious. I'm going to see if I can find the uh, the uh, the actual chart here. But anyway, the, the whole premise was this is back in you know 2013, 2014, something like that. Maybe 2012, 2013. And uh, he was reviewing the the prices of Bitcoin, and he said, you know, Bitcoin went from nine cents to eighty seven cents, and then it crashed all the way down to twenty seven cents. 
And then he moves <laughs> forward like a few months and he's like, Bitcoin was at $23. It went all the way up to $243 and it crashed all the way down to $112. And then he moves forward, you know, and he keeps doing this. The numbers are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And yes, uh, it keeps crashing, keeps having these like 50, 60, 70% pullbacks. And then you wait a little bit and then it goes up like another, you know, 12X and then it does like an 80% pullback and then a 12X. He's yep. like, the moral of the and, story, don't buy Bitcoin. And it's obviously tongue in cheek and it's, it's yeah. kind of funny, but it's, do your it, own research, make your own opinions. But it was, it was funny. Just for everyone's own education, that is going to happen forever. Right. That's always going to be the case. The, the only scenario where that may change is once it's completely mined, which, you know, earliest that could be is like 2040 at this point, but could slow down. Who knows? Really? That early? That's the earliest oh, yeah. I've That's seen true. is 2040. Technically, yeah. it, it, it wouldn't slow down too. with... It, the reason why it takes so long right now is because there's so many people mining it. Technically, if less people start mining it, then it doesn't take as long to, to mine. So What? It, is it, it true? That you would have a lower hash rate, which should draw it out. No, the, the thing the is, is the, the reason why it takes so long now is because so many people are mining it and it has to be verified across all those nodes. You lower the amount of nodes, there's less nodes for it to be verified across. That's mm. how the proof of work works. So that's that's. I thought really adding so more <clears throat> miners helped to do the ever-growing, increasing amount of proof of work required based on the number of transactions. It, just, it has to be verified nodes. across the entire blockchain. If the entire blockchain is a million nodes, mm. it takes longer. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to look into that. So I don't know how it all affects the timing, which is why I'm not saying anything for certain as far as like, I'm not sure that it's going to be the same time frame or not. I, I really don't know. Um, yeah. But that's, that's the time frame that I have seen uh, people estimate for the 21 million Bitcoin to be mined. What's, what's really interesting is when you compare the way mainstream media will talk about uh, well, I don't even necessarily want to use that term, but the media in general, because when I say mainstream media, it probably triggers people in certain ways on uh, previous, you know, political things and all that kind of fun stuff. But the way the general media, maybe just change the term a little bit, uh, will portray what happened with China rooting out all these mining locations and basically trying to cancel and kill Bitcoin and all this kind of stuff. And it being this massive negative, you know, dark cloud and all this kind of stuff and crash and whatnot. And then you go and talk to anybody within that community and they say, this is some of the best news I've ever seen because China reacting this way, which again is nothing new, is just more and more uh, reason to show and prove that it's working, right? To show yep. that they're concerned about what's, what's happening and concerned about the traction it's getting and concerned about the influence it'll have on the people and the control that they'll lose and all this kind of fun stuff. So, well, you you shared a a video yesterday with Tyler and I, and and I didn't watch from the point you is a five hour video, and you linked three hours in, and there was two hours left, and so right. I didn't watch the entire two hours, but I watched like thirty minutes of it. Yeah, yeah, that was that's all I was trying to get is the first like 20, 30 minutes. Yeah, and and in that time frame, you know, they they were talking about, and this is for some other crypto, I don't know which one it was, but the, the, yeah, the this is Cardano. So, Cardano. yeah, just for people listening, this is Charles Hoskinson being interviewed by Lex Friedman on Lex Friedman's podcast, and he's talking about Cardano. All right, continue. Well, the, the, the thing that was interesting, well, it's not interesting to me. It's something that I think people forget is that the success of Bitcoin for the world at the moment is rooted in 
price. Like that's that's just sort of what yes, they. That's think. the part I wanted you to see. This, this, yes. yeah, get to it because this is and, this is kind of powerful. And whenever he was asked about what does success look like, what does failure look like, and at no point in time during the success conversation or the failure conversation, none of the conditions had anything to do with the cost of the crypto asset. Literally that's none right. of it. And and so it's just a it's an interesting thing that people don't recognize that when Bitcoin falls in price, that is not a leading indicator of failure for what crypto is built to be. And so it's just a it's just a, it's it's a way we measure it because that's what gets the news headlines when it raises in price, when it falls in price, all of that. That's going to be what you're going to see. But that is not its its true binding purpose. So it's just a, it will continue to be built by the people who are building it and mining it forever, regardless of price. That's the point to, to, to help people understand that. Yeah. And he was talking about one of their um, code name releases that happened. He said, this was such a big thing for the technology. And he said, it took us four years, a lot of effort, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. And we finally released it. And he was like, there was maybe I mean, just it was like a golf clap, you know, like very yep. few people even acknowledged and no noise was made, but this was a massively monumental thing. And then he said shortly after that, like, you know, down the road, I don't know, three months, six months, whatever it is, um, Ada, Cardano, whatever, uh, hits $1 and everyone loses their mind and everyone's congratulating him and they're popping champagne bottles. And he's like, that's not what this is about. It has nothing to do with that. He was like, I then was just like almost depressed that that's yep. what this has been reduced to. And he you talked could about tell, a really, yeah. You could tell how disappointed he was yeah, in exactly. that moment. Like you could see his face, you could hear his tone on why are you why are you telling me this? Like you should have told me this three months ago. Yeah. That, not now that right this has i don't even control this this isn't something that i do i it's not it's not a part of it so it was it was an interesting thing to see uh just the way he he talked about it did you listen to the part where you're talking about the universal wallet i didn't hear him talk in so, detail about it he just kept talking about light wallets and the way the hash stuff worked with like the green and the red example he used i, I heard about yeah. that but yeah yeah so really interesting concept. And I, I started to kind of f try to try to figure out like, what would this mean and all this kind of stuff. But basically, any asset that you have that is worth something and that's tradable, whether or not it's like a, a gift card to the local country club or like physical gold uh, or something like that, right? And he oh, that's right. Of I, a, I actually yeah, do remember that. Yeah. The universal wallet where like, you know, somebody gives me an Einstein Brothers you know, gift card or whatever. And I can load that into my universal wallet and I can go and pay my electric bill with it because I can then pay in whatever resource I have and they can accept in whatever resource they have. Now, lots of complications about that, but it's an interesting idea that I'd never heard anybody even present, right? It's, it's almost like, you know, looking back thousands of years in terms of people just kind of bartering with stuff, but now it's all digital and all of your resources are kind of in in one bucket. Um, yeah, it, it was really interesting. He, I think he'd even mentioned, he was like, yeah, you can pay with your season passes to Six Flags or whatever. And it, and it was this idea of taking this fractional value of something and mm -hmm. just converting it to whatever the fractional value to someone else is of some other thing of whatever that might be. So it was and whatever like, it is that they wanted to get yeah, paid in. Whatever right? it was they wanted to get paid in. Um, uh, yeah, seriously, a lot of complications. But if you think about the way we deal with 
you know, buying and selling of these assets, it is all fractional value. It's stocks, fractional value. It crypto's fractional value, and it's just you know you're you're moving them back and forth or whatever. Now it's one medium exchange. It's dollars for you know crypto or or stock or whatever it might be, and then you might be able to trade one for the other. But yeah, I thought it was an incredibly you know powerful conversation that that I heard of. I, I mean. <clears throat> I wish I could take the five hours to listen to all of it. Maybe I could over time, but yeah, it was just uh, yeah. very interesting. And so I think that people need to understand. I think what people ex- expect is that whenever uh, whenever crypto crashes, I think they just have this assumption that it will it will die based off of the price, right? And it yeah. won't because that's not why it's built. And right. that's what I think people really don't fundamentally understand is that it will if it if if bitcoin goes to 1 cent it will still continue to be mined and to be built and and all of these crypto things will still continue to be done even if the price goes to a cent and i don't think that people recognize that because so i thought that that was the re- biggest thing that he was putting out there exactly because it's a community that has reached a threshold right uh, where there's enough believers in it there's enough um backing behind it there's enough use use of it all that kind of fun stuff right there's enough yeah. people focused on its development and all that and i don't think enough people around the world recognize the amount of people who build things because they want to build them like the fact that linux mm-hmm. still exists in the way that it does and the fact that i can go download an operating system for free and i mean free as in beer as in it is free beer. You can go do this. And people still put their time and effort into doing it. I have put my time and effort into a release of Kubernetes, an open source project that I was paid nothing to do. Uh, it, people do this all over the world and create things that, that don't have immediate financial gain for them all of the time. And I believe crypto has this sort of element about it similar to open source software that just sort of keeps it going because there's a lot of idealistic people out there that want to build cool things that have purpose. And I think crypto is a part of that. That is awesome. Dude, we have, uh, we have about twice as many viewers in here that we typically do. Only two people are talking in the chat, though, so I don't know who any of them are. One of them is probably me. Okay. Uh, What distro do you use or prefer, Russ? Um, I use Pop! OS, actually, from System76. So the same people who I buy my or I bought my laptop from, System76, they have a a distribution called Pop! OS. So I I used it for a few years on just a regular Asus laptop, and then I eventually bought a a laptop from them. But that's the primary one that, that I use. I used to distro hop. A little bit. I used Elementary OS for a little while. Um, that one would please a lot of Mac users. They have a lot of design themes very similar to, to Apple. Uh, but I, I like Pop! OS uh, quite a bit. So I've, I've been sticking with that for a few years. All right. So there was another one uh, just dropped in the chat. And then we probably have to shut it down and get out of here. But Microsoft rises to join Apple in exclusive $2 trillion club. You see that? I did. I thought that was, you know, I don't know. I... I like to celebrate success. So I just really, I don't know. I was happy for them. I think a lot of people see that news and they, I think a lot of people take that news negatively because they're take like, Microsoft's. Yeah. I just think, I think, negatively? I think, How? yeah, I think, I think a lot of people see people making a lot of money or companies, you know, being very successful and they're like, no one should have that much money or whatever else. And so I, uh, I like to on. sprinkle the positivity on there and say that that's awesome. Congrats to Microsoft. Uh, the once evil empire that I think I think more people sort of kind of like a little yeah. bit more now than they did so 
you know, maybe 20 years ago. Yeah. I think they're, they're, they've definitely softened their, um, public persona. Yeah, they still have uh, they still have a little bit of a maddening design language inside of Windows. Like, figure your stuff out, Microsoft. Like, which how do you want to how do you want to move this thing forward? But maybe we'll get the answer tomorrow, actually, because I think Windows 11 is being announced tomorrow. Even though Windows 10 was going to be the last version of Windows, so yeah, Microsoft what? is still a little crazy. It was. It was going to be the last version. It was. Yeah, it was. Supposed, Windows 10 was going to be the last version of Windows, and they were just going to perpetually update it, just sort of forever. And now. They're basically they're they're saying uh, here's Windows 11 and they're they're going up against that. But yeah, that was like that was a big thing when Windows 10 released was like this is going to be the last version of Windows, like full version of Windows that we make. Which was when was that? 2015 timeframe. Yeah, you're right. Windows 10 2015. Last you're right. Version July 2015. Yeah. Which is farther back than I thought it would have been. I would have guessed maybe 2017, something like that. But yeah, no, 2015. Why? Why would they ever make a statement like that? Forever? Uh, I don't know. Well, For the future, they, like the operating system, will never go past Windows 10. We'll just call it this forever. They did. I mean, they just they turned it into this idea of a rolling release, um, which is uh, sort of something that we we see from from the oh, Linux kind of like a again. yeah. Okay. Well, if if they're gonna yeah. Okay. So it kind of makes sense. Like if you think about the uh, you know a browser, right? Yeah, it's exactly continually updated. Yeah, I think the reality though is is that when you get a Windows number change, the market responds. Um, PC manufacturers, I think, were probably begging for this because every <laughs> single time you get a Windows number change, there's just PC sales go up. So mm. uh, I imagine that there's an element of that. But I have seen that all the Windows 11 Strong leaks point. have been around um, design change. So it's like they're they're making a lot of different design changes. We talked about the. Uh, the start, the start bar menu or the, the task bar and, and how yeah. that's sort of being laid out. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Uh, my struggle with Windows 10 is as good as it's been, has, has always been the, you have like half the menus are in this new version of Windows and half the menus are most certainly in the older version of Windows. And I actually prefer the older ones just because I'm so used to them, but I'm, I'm willing to accept the change if they, if they go full bore one direction. So we'll see. We'll see what they do. All right, man. My phone is blowing up. I uh, I think we need to shut this down. Yeah, I think so too. <clears throat> it's uh, it's nine oh eight. So that'll do it for another episode of the Tech Breakfast Podcast. Thank you for joining. Thank you for listening. Please share with your friends. Uh, like us on you know any podcast app that you do. I think uh, I think Apple Podcast is probably the one that helps us the most getting those ratings yeah. on there. So go ahead and do that. And thanks you thanks for joining. And until next time, we'll talk to you later. Peace. Booyah, Grandma. Booyah!